You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Be Thou our vision, O Lord of our hearts. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from Your instruction. We want to see Jesus. Amen. Well, they say that seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. One friend told me, Adam, I won't believe anything until anyone, I won't believe anything anyone tells me unless I see it with my own two eyes. You see, without real, visible, or tangible evidence, I'd be a fool to devote my whole life to Jesus, wouldn't I? Unless Jesus appears right in front of my eyes, unless he performs some amazing miracle that I simply cannot deny, being a Christian, let's face it, is nothing more than blind faith. Seeing is believing. And if I haven't seen it, I ain't believing it. I wonder uh, whether any of your friends have said that to you before. It's a sentiment that I hear all the time when I read, listen to, and watch social commentary about Christianity in Australia. And maybe if you're not a Christian, I wonder whether you yourself might share that same sentiment. That the primary barrier to you not following Jesus is doubt. Doubt because you won't believe what you cannot see. Well, believe it or not, but today in Mark's Gospel, we're going to see that Jesus' very own disciples are totally blind to who He is. And more specifically, they are blind to Jesus' plan, and they are blind to Jesus' power. Now, this is absolutely remarkable, right? Because their blindness is that they see, but that they do not believe. It's not that seeing is believing, they actually look at Jesus, they see all these miracles, and yet still, they do not believe. For them, no miracle will ever be enough. Their blindness, and so often our blindness, is a blindness of the heart. It's a blindness so strong that even if the Lord Jesus Christ were physically standing right in front of us right now, we just would not recognize Him. It's a spiritual blindness that only Jesus can heal. So look with me at Mark chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. And we're going to see that Jesus' disciples are blind to His plan. In those days, there was again a large crowd, and they had nothing to eat. Jesus called the disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way, and some of them have come a long distance. I wonder, have you ever experienced deja vu? You know that sense when you read this, I think we've been here before. I have this terrible habit that that I know that I've inflicted on some of you. I have this habit of forgetting pretty much everything I say, and that means I tend to repeat myself over and over again. I tell the same stories to the same people multiple times. Now, is that what's going on here, right? Is Mark just having a senior's moment? Has he entirely forgotten that he's told us this very same story just two chapters ago? Because, let's face it, right, when we compare this feeding to the feeding back in chapter 6, they at least look identical. In both events, right, Jesus feeds a large crowd. 
in both events, Jesus has compassion on those crowds. Both those events take place in a remote or desolate place. In both events, Jesus multiplies bread and fish. In both events, He blesses and gives thanks for the food. And in both events, the crowds eat and they are satisfied. You see, when we look at the similarities between these two feedings, it's no wonder that there are some people who will claim that this second feeding never really happened. You see, what we read here, they say, is that Mark simply fabricated the story. What we're reading then is not historically reliable. And if this, if this one event is not historically reliable, how can we trust anything in Mark's gospel at all? But I want us to notice that there are more than enough differences between these two feedings to show that what happens here in chapter 8 is a totally separate incident and is totally true and is totally trustworthy. Number one, the first feeding involves 5,000 men, but this feeding involves 4,000 people. Number two, in the first feeding, the Jewish crowds were chasing Jesus. But in this feeding, you know, the Gentile crowds have been following Jesus for three days. Number three, in the first feeding, there were 12 baskets of leftover food. But in this feeding, there are seven baskets of leftover food. And in this second feeding, most importantly, Jesus actually refers back to the first feeding as a separate, prior, and actual event. Now, why is all of this important? You know, as Christians, as we, when we read the gospel, we read this as if they were God's very words to us. But I want to be very clear, just because they're God's words doesn't mean that these events are not true, and it doesn't mean that they're not historical. You know, when we read our Bible, we're not reading a myth or a legend. The events that took place here in the gospel took place in the Middle East, not on Middle Earth. Jesus was a real man born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, attested to by Jewish and secular historians alike. You see, the reality is, historians, we really don't have many documents from the first century, but we do have multiple copies of Mark's Gospel. What we read here is a highly reliable first century historic document grounded in real time and actual space. And that means that all of us, Christian or not, have to grapple with its claims, right? We can't simply say, Christianity, good for you. You do you. Whatever makes you happy. No, no, we just don't have that option. Because what we read here is not subjective and relative. It's objective and absolute. What we read here cannot be ignored. You see, if this second feeding really happened, which it did, then the disciples' question in verse 4 is absolutely astounding, isn't it? Just look at it, right? This is what they ask. Where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed these people? Now, if you go back to chapter 6, they've been in this situation before, right? They really should know the answer to it. I mean, are you kidding me? It was just two chapters ago that these very same disciples personally witnessed Jesus take five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000 men. In fact, they were the very ones serving the crowds. They were the very ones collecting the leftovers. But somehow, here they are, in much the same situation, and they just don't believe that Jesus can do it again. I mean, they witnessed a miracle. 
But for them, seeing was not believing. If anything, they saw. They saw with their very own eyes, but they did not believe. They are blind to who Jesus is, and they are blind to what He has done. I mean, you know, as we reach the, this midpoint of Mark's gospel, it's actually pretty frustrating, isn't it? Right? We, we see the disciples and we're like, how obtuse or thick can you be? I mean, like, over and over again. They get a front row seat to see who Jesus really is, and yet they're still so blind. They remind me of a law student who clerked at our firm a number of years ago. No matter how many times we explained something to this student, he just didn't get it. It was remarkably frustrating. I mean, all the lawyers would ask each other, I mean, gosh, what more explanation does this guy need? What more could you possibly want? No explanation ever seemed to be enough. Suffice to say, he didn't get a graduate offer. You see, for the disciples, no miracle would ever be enough. They saw, but they did not believe. I mean, their blindness to Jesus is absolutely astounding. And I actually think this is why Mark has put this event here, right? You might have been reading chapters 1 to 8 of Mark and going, what's the big deal? Miracle after miracle after miracle. I don't get it, right? Someone tell me what's going on here. I think that's actually why Mark's put this right here. Because he wants to see that actually we're often as blind as the disciples are, aren't we? It's right in front of us, and we need the reminder. If anything, Mark wants to show us what blind faith really looks like. To see, and yet still not believe. The disciples are totally blind to who Jesus is. But even more than that, they're blind to His plan. Because the number one reason that this feeding is different from the first feeding is where it takes place. Do you remember? The first feeding in Galilee showed us that Jesus is the shepherd king of Israel, his ancient people. But now in this feeding, in the Decapolis, in Gentile territory, it shows us that Jesus is king not just over Israel, he is the shepherd king over the whole wide world. He is the shepherd king over every tribe in the world. In the first half of chapter 7, Jesus cleansed unclean food. In the second half of chapter 7, he cleansed an unclean people. And now here in chapter 8, he is cleansing an unclean place. Do you see what he's saying? Jesus' kingdom is for every tribe, every people, and every nation. To put it another way, he don't care who you are, where you're from, or what you did. As long as you trust him. Repent and believe. But the disciples are blind to this reality. And just like the disciples, they assume that, the Pharisees, they assume that Israel is God's ending point. The end of his plan, where in fact it's actually his starting point. It's the starting point of his mission to the world. It's incredibly frustrating sometimes watching the news, because over and over again you'll hear people say, Christianity is the religion of the West, and Christian mission work was nothing more than a form of Western cultural imperialism. But nothing could be further from the truth. Let's take it for starters, right? Jesus' uh, Christianity was founded by a Middle Eastern Jewish man. But more importantly, Jesus is king not just over Israel, 
nor just over the West. No, he's king over every tribe on earth. And this is radically different to every other major world religion. You see, in Islam, the Quran has to be in Arabic. Otherwise, if it's in any other language, it's actually not considered to be God's words. In Judaism, the holy land of Israel, the physical geographic soil and dirt of the place is where God will dwell. But for us who follow Jesus, we can read God's word in any language. And God is with us in every place. Jesus is not king from the west to the rest. No, he is the king from anywhere to everywhere. This reality of a vision for every tribe has to give hope to our world. It says to absolutely everyone that our past need not dictate our future. Our origin need not determine our destiny. Our family not, need not fix our faith. And our group need not decide our God. Fellow Christian, whatever your vision of the gospel might be, I want you to know, and I can almost guarantee it, that it is a vision too small. Because if it is anything less than cosmic, global, and eternal, it is not big enough. And I wonder, do your prayers reflect the bigness of God's plans for His world? It's great if you're praying for the salvation of your individual friends. But I wonder, will you commit yourself to not just pray for their salvation? Will you commit yourself to pray for the salvation of whole tribes, of whole cultures, of whole nations, and of whole peoples? Why not prayerfully choose a culture or a nation for whom your heart might break, for whom you might pray, or maybe even to whom you might go? Don't be like the disciples. Don't be blind to Jesus' plans for the world. Well, if you thought that the disciples were blind, I want you to meet the Pharisees in verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. Give me a sign, the Pharisees say. But once again, you have to wonder, where in the world have these guys been? What in the world have they been looking at? I mean, Jesus has been performing miracles from all the way in chapter 1. Driving out unclean spirits, healing lepers, paralytics and blood diseases, calming the wind and the waves and even raising the dead. But just like the disciples, the Pharisees see, but they do not believe. In one sense, they're presented with incontrovertible proof as to who Jesus is, but for them, no miracle will ever be enough. Or maybe for the Pharisees, no miracle on their terms will ever be enough. Do you see that phrase, a sign from heaven? That's not just referring to any other miracle. No, they're talking about a very specific miracle. They're looking for a demonstration of power, something big, something strong, something apocalyptic, something triumphalist. They're looking for a sign on their terms and for their benefit. You know, just a few years before Jesus' ministry began, one Jewish author wrote of the signs that he expected to accompany the kingdom of God, and this is what he wrote, and this is what he expected. Then God's kingdom shall appear throughout all creation. 
The horns of the sun shall be broken and be turned to darkness. The moon will not give her light. The circles of the stars shall be disturbed. I wonder if you can catch the sense of what the Pharisees were demanding. They were on the lookout for something so spectacular, something so cataclysmic that actually faith would no longer be required. They wanted to base their believing not on the person of God, but on the demonstration of a miracle. Let's face it, so many of us are like the Pharisees, aren't we? We base our faith in Jesus not on who He is, but on a miracle we assume that He has performed. Fill in the blank, right? If you're a Christian, fill in the blank for a moment, right? I'm a Christian because... Because what? Because God healed me of a sickness? Because God gave me a husband or wife? because God met me in an emotional encounter, all of which are great things. But let's be clear, if the basis of our faith is a sign from heaven, our trust is not in a changeless king, but in a fickle experience. But that's actually exactly how we want it, isn't it? I mean, just like the Pharisees, so many of us demand a miracle, but it has to be on our terms. And it has to be for our benefit. We don't want a king whom we might serve. We want a king who might serve us. See, if that's you, I want you to see how Jesus responds to the Pharisees and how he might respond to us in verse 12. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. Now, let me translate this for you as to what he might otherwise be saying. In the original, it says this, if a sign will be given to this generation, dot, dot, dot. Sentence does not finish, but this is what he's saying. If these guys are going to get a sign, if it's a sign that they need to prove their trust in me, my gosh, Don't even finish the sentence. Perish the thought. You have got to be kidding me. Just imagine a parent who has sacrificed everything for their child. They've proven their love in countless different ways. But one day, along comes their child, who says to them, if you loved me, you would buy me my first home. Now just imagine the parent's anguish. It's not that you don't want to buy your first home for your child. No, the pain is that your child is blind to your love. The pain is that your child needs that somehow, to believe that you love them. And you might think, after everything I've done for you, after everything I've given you, what more can I do for you to see my love? If you can't see it now, No first home, no sign from heaven will ever convince you. No miracle, however spectacular, will ever be enough. See, you say that seeing is believing. But the reality is you have seen. But you just haven't believed. And so in verse 13, Jesus left them, got back into the boat and went to the other side. 
You see, the Pharisees' blindness is not actually with their eyes, it's with their hearts. So Jesus leaves, and He leaves with His disciples. Look at what happens in verse 14. The disciples had forgotten to take bread and had only one loaf with them in the boat. They're upset. Just think about it, right? They had just multiplied all this bread. There were seven large baskets of leftover pieces, but they only remembered to doggy bag one for the road. In verse 16, they had this continual fixation on their material and their visible needs. They were discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. But look at what Jesus warns them in verse 15. Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Look, open your eyes. The unbelief of the Pharisees and Herod will spread like leaven or yeast throughout a dough. And if you're not careful, you will be poisoned by their unbelief. See, the Pharisees were blind to King Jesus because they were looking for a sign on their terms. And the disciples were blind to King Jesus because they were looking for physical bread for their comfort. I mean, it's tragic, isn't it? It's just a train wreck, really. The disciples, the people who you would expect to get it, just don't get it. They're looking for all the wrong things, and so they're blind to what matters most. They see but they do not believe. No miracle, even the greatest miracle, will ever be enough. And so, in verses 17 to 21, Jesus kind of hits them with a machine gun volley of rhetorical questions. He, he wants to reveal their blindness. Ironically, He wants the blind to see that they're blind. Don't you understand or comprehend? No. Do you have hardened hearts? I guess so. Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? Okay. And do you not remember? No. Jesus wants them to see that not once, but twice. I have provided for you. I provided for you in abundance and satisfied your deepest need. You are looking for what will satisfy your stomach. But you have personally seen that I will satisfy your soul. Are you so blind that you don't even realize you're blind? So you think you see clearly, but in fact you're just like a blind person hallucinating his way through life, unaware of his own blindness. It's the great tragedy, isn't it? And kind of scary as well. Because just like the Pharisees and just like the disciples, we could be looking Jesus right in the face and yet still not believe. So don't tell me seeing is believing, because here we have people who saw not once, not twice, but all the way from chapters 1 to 8, and yet still do not believe. The Pharisees were demanding a sign that would make faith redundant, because our blindness is actually not in our eyes, it's in our hearts. Our blindness is not physical, but spiritual. Our blindness is our unbelief our lack of faith, our failure to trust. Let's be clear, Jesus is not an idea to be examined. He is a king to be trusted. Faith, faith must be the foundation 
of a relationship with Jesus. Just think about it, right? It's like the deep trust between a husband and a wife. But just imagine one day, the wife decides, you know what? I believe that my husband is faithful to me, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to hire a private investigator. And he's going to go and gather evidence to prove that he is faithful to me. Now, you know what? The report will come back and Lord willing, it all checks out and it's clear. The wife might indeed prove his faithfulness on the basis of the evidence, but let's face it, right? Her mere act of demanding the evidence in the first place demonstrates a total lack of trust. On the flip side, I know marriages that have fallen apart because a husband has been unfaithful to his wife. And once that trust has been broken and destroyed, the wife can never look at her husband the same way again. And no matter what he does within the first year or two to prove his love for her, whether it's showering her with gifts or writing her letters, quite understandably, she is blind to see that love. Because there's just no trust. There's no faith. And if there is no faith, there will never be sight. It's not that seeing is believing. No, true believing is truly seeing. And unless we trust in King Jesus, I want to tell you right now, no miracle will ever be enough. But if, if you trust in King Jesus, you'll see the world rightly. You'll recognize the many signs of God. You will truly behold the King. C.S. Lewis writes, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. The Pharisees were looking for a miracle of strength, of power, and of dominion. And so they were blind to the greatest miracle of all. The one miracle for which it is worth banking everything on following Jesus. It is the miracle of King Jesus dying in our place. Jesus is that King who conquers not through strength, but through weakness. He is the King who saves through suffering, who delivers through death. You see, our faith is not blind. Our trust in Jesus is not baseless. No, it is founded on Jesus' death in our place, where He absorbed the penalty for our sins and brought us into His kingdom, a real event that took place in time and space and in history. But the disciples couldn't see it. The Pharisees couldn't see it. Because they had no faith, and they were looking for the wrong sort of sign. They were blind to his plan and they were blind to his power. Well, you might wonder, Adam, if you're saying that I'm just like the Pharisees or the disciples, if I'm just blind and I don't even know I'm blind, how do I get out of this? How in the world do I open my own eyes to see this? Great question. I'm glad you asked. Well, in our final section, we meet a blind man who represents us all. Look with me at verse 22. They came to Bethsaida. They brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. We've seen miracles before, right? Yet another miracle. Jesus then performs a miracle, but it don't seem to work. 
In verses 23 to 24, he lays hands on the man who sees people, but they look like trees walking. His sight isn't fully restored. And then in verse 25, Jesus kind of comes around too. He lays hands on him again, and then his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. I mean, what's going on here? Jesus having a bad day at the office? I mean, in every other miracle, Jesus heals in an instant. So so we know that this kind of two-step healing as such is not because Jesus can't, but because Jesus wants to communicate and show us a point. He wants us to see that the disciples, he wants us to see that we ourselves need a second touch in order for our eyes to be opened. You see, at first touch, the disciples come to know who Jesus is. They rightly see him as the Messiah and as their king. But they don't know what type of Messiah. They don't yet know that he'll be a king who will save them through suffering, who'll deliver them through death. They see, but they don't yet fully or truly understand. They need a second touch. A second touch which will open their eyes to see Jesus for the king he really is the shepherd king who will lay down his life for his sheep. And only Jesus can do that. The statement of the obvious, right? A blind man can't heal themselves. Only Jesus can open blind eyes. Only Jesus can make us see. I, one thing that I love about our church is that the number of people here who are sold out for the vision of God who are sold out to share the gospel with their friends. I love it how many of you guys are thinking about and praying for your non-Christian friends, longing for them to come to faith. The number of people that have come to us and said, can you not just tell us that we should be on mission, can you show us how, is absolutely astounding. And I love that about our church. But we need to be very clear. That as Christians, we need to remember that Jesus alone opens blind eyes. That's His job, not ours. And the reality is we can place all the evidences of the resurrection in front of a non-Christian, but unless they have the eyes to see it, they will never, ever, ever acknowledge its reality. See, if you want to know what the number one greatest tool for your evangelism is, here it is. It's prayer. It's prayer. You might pack your diary full of catching up with your non-Christian mates and reading the Bible with them, stepping them through two ways to live or knowing God personally. But my question is, do you spend just as much time praying for them? For in prayer, we plead with the only God who can open blind eyes. We plead with Him to open the eyes of our friends' hearts. And miraculously, God works through our prayers to give sight to the blind. Do you pray as much as you preach. If you're not a Christian, you might actually identify with the disciples here in Mark's Gospel, right? In fact, you may have been coming along to church and hearing Mark 1 to 8 with us. You've journeyed with Jesus and the disciples. You've seen all the miracles. You've heard the message. And yet, just like the disciples, something is missing. Something's not quite right. There's a disconnect between your head and your heart. 
What you see, what you read, it tells you one compelling story, but just like the disciples, you just can't bring yourself to fully, truly follow Him. What's missing? What's that one piece of the puzzle that if only I had that, then everything would fall into place? Well, Jesus wants to tell you, faith, faith, faith. And the only way you're going to get it is if I open your eyes to see it. I'm not asking you to disregard the evidence. I'm not asking you to leave your brain at the door. The gospel is not irrational. No, it's what you might call supra-rational. It includes what is rational and then so much more. Boss, let's face it, right? Rationality alone cannot explain the love that you have for your husband or wife. That relationship, sure, it includes rationality. It's grounded, though, in trust, in faith. So check the evidence, do your homework, read the Gospels, look for the proof. But in the end, the real question is this. Do you trust me? Do you have faith in me? Will you follow me? Jesus is not calling us to blind faith. No, He's calling us to a deeper trust in the God who has loved us to the point of death the greatest basis on which we might place our trust. What are you missing? What's that final piece of the puzzle? Faith. 